Welcome to episode 13 of the All Things Local podcast. On this episode, I speak with Lynette Spencer, founder and executive director of AdventureWorks. We are now four months into the pandemic, and Lynette and I chat about her organization, how they quickly adjusted, and how they are continuing their mission of bringing mental health services to our community in some very unique ways. We discuss her collaboration with government agencies and other nonprofits, particularly in the University Village neighborhood of DeKalb. She shares how she found her passion of social work and why she decided to take the leap and start a new nonprofit so that anyone who would benefit from adventure therapy would not be hindered by their ability to pay. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to our podcast, All Things Local, a monthly podcast about issues and ideas in our local communities from the people who research and serve them, brought to you by the School of Public and Global Affairs at Northern Illinois University. I'm your host, Dr. Alicia Shadiman, Associate Professor here at NIU. We'll hear from researchers and public service workers in government and nonprofit organizations across communities about topics and issues affecting our towns, villages, cities, and neighborhoods. So I am a social worker by uh, education and, and practice, um, training, licensure. I've worked in multiple different um, areas of practice, mostly in psychiatry, behavioral health. And so I've done outpatient, inpatient, partial hospitalization, no residential. Um, I did a, a little stint in, the, in my history in um, hospice and home health social work. But primarily, it's been all behavioral health care. I was working most recently prior to AdventureWorks. I was working at the DeKalb Clinic in, as, as a multi-specialty clinic and, they, and doing just counseling in the psychiatry department. So it was the outpatient model of practice, a lot of medical referrals, obviously, from the clinic. So I worked with all ages. And what I found at the clinic was that um, I was having the most challenge relating to and talking with my kiddos. So the, the younger kids, the teenagers especially, but and the younger they were, the more amenable they were to the dialogue. But kids are just, I found that kids are just ill-prepared to sit down, reflect on the week, talk about the challenges that they experienced, how they might handle those differently, and then go try it out later. So the kids are so much more here and now. And so one of the, and when I came across adventure therapy, um, my first exposure was through equine-assisted psychotherapy, the handset. So when I was able to have people hands-on in an arena with horses, it showed me what experiential work could do, and it was really like the here and now. And that just evolved, and I was able to kind of introduce myself to the various experiential therapy modalities, including adventure, walk and talk therapy, uh, high adventure, low adventure, low, low rope, high ropes courses, those kinds of things. And it gave me this perspective of, of what hands-on work could do when you were partnering with kids, especially. And I found it to be really um, cool. So I, I, it, was, it worked for me. It worked for um, my practice. And I wanted it to be more accessible. And so um, in 2009 is when I started my journey toward opening AdventureWorks and developing the, the experiential counseling practice, which is now the nonprofit AdventureWorks that was founded in 2010. So, the, so I'm the, currently the founder executive director of AdventureWorks uh, located in DeKalb. And before AdventureWorks, were they able, for, for kids who needed that kind of therapy, were they able to get that locally or where did they have to go if they, if they determined that, that was yeah. really the best route? 
there were and still are pockets of practitioners who are doing a little experiential work within a traditional setting. But DeKalb County, there was nothing here that was based in experiential therapy as the primary um, modality. And even more so, um, there was nothing that was outdoor-based. Ventures was really one of the first modern-day programs. And most of the outdoor behavioral health care model is uh, implemented in the wilderness therapy programs, which are sort of a last resort residential send your kid away because they're not coping at home um, model of sort of like the last ditch effort. AdventureWorks is the, one of the first, we are the first community-based OBH program to become accredited in the United States. There aren't too many that are nonprofit community-based access, open access to everybody. So is that the distinguishing characteristic, like why create a nonprofit to do this work rather than go through those kind of traditional providers? Yeah, I really credit my 2009 Aurora University students. I was teaching as an adjunct and I taught an expressive therapies class and I brought in different people um, that semester to teach dance and movement therapy. Um, we went to a high ropes course, we went to an equine center, we went to, um, we went on a orienteering course across campus that was designed for my students. And the pushback from those students was, this is great and this is really um, viable for kids, except none of my kids will ever be able to afford this. So how, how is it accessible and why are you teaching it to me? And that's when I sh- made the shift to open AdventureWorks as a nonprofit. So can you tell us about your mission then? How would you describe your mission in the communities that you serve? How big are you now? Um, what's, your, what's been your growth like? The growth has been pretty tremendous. We are, in, you know, 10 years in, we're in a, in a place that I really had never dreamed of, where we serve most of the DeKalb County schools, not all at once, but in over the years we've been in all the schools. General Kingston School has us doing groups in every building in their district. And that's like third or fourth year running. So we're really well integrated into the Genoa district. We've been repeat guest group runners at DeKalb High School and some of the, the various middle schools. So in addition to school groups, we have in 2016, we transitioned when we bought our current building. We made a transition that year from we were all group therapy up to that point and kind of dabbling in individual therapy. And we made the transition to to do individual therapy as our primary modality in 2016 and group as as, um, an adjunct to the individuals or um, in the the case of the schools, uh, the primary modality. That has just opened up the resources to the community and uh, we've become a a sort of a mainstay of counseling for kids in, in the DeKalb area. So what have you seen now the past couple of months? What shifted in your world, both in the services that you provide from an organizational level, but also what has you seen shift in the community during this pandemic? So um, at the beginning of the pandemic, we closed our office, um, our physical office. We closed it down like March 19th, the day before the governor closed down Illinois. A week before that, approximately, the schools had closed. When the schools closed, we closed, we lost all contact with the kids that we were serving in the schools. Then Throughout that, the previous week and the week that we closed, we had made the shift to telehealth because we knew we weren't going to be able to see our kids in person. And we contracted with the platform. We got all the, um, there were all the telehealth consent forms that we needed to get into place. It was just a completely new model of practice that was implemented within probably two weeks time. 
we were able to transition our clients that we we're seeing in person, our individual clients, to our online format. None of our groups have been running since the pandemic started. We, we've, we kept two programs running through telehealth. One is the individual counseling program, and then the other is the early risk assessment program that we work with the, both YSB and the Juvenile Justice Council on that program. And so the early risk assessment is an individual case management program. And so we we're able to maintain telehealth connection with those clients as well and, and continue that program. Initially, we thought it was going to have to shut down, but we were able to manage that and that's been going fairly well. So we're just have been doing up until this past Monday, we had been doing only telehealth since March like 19th, I think it was. On Monday, we reopened our outdoor office space. So we're able to see clients in person at the office, but outside and still maintain telehealth for both clinicians and clients who aren't ready to be back in person, and also for weather issues for those who would be seen in person if weather prevents us from being outside, which is one of our biggest barriers sometimes in the summer with thunderstorms. We will probably continue telehealth for a good long time, if not forever. That was coming. Telehealth industry was coming into being long before the pandemic, and it really, and we knew that we were going to need to have some sort of telehealth opportunity for weather, for clients that were out of our area, if we wanted to be able to serve out of area clients. Kids that don't have access to come to our office, if their parents work in the evenings, they're in school during the days, there's not much room for them to be able to get there without their own transportation. There are lots of reasons for telehealth. And we found that we can be pretty creative with virtual backgrounds and screen sharing and doing a lot of interactive activities, still experiential work, still through the computer. And what have you seen? How have um, individuals been adapting or coping during this pandemic that's, that's maybe shifted what you were seeing them for before the pandemic? In the very beginning of the pandemic, we lost about 65% of our clients, either because we shut down or they didn't respond or they didn't have the technology or it's just some connection wasn't being made, or they just didn't have the wherewithal to go to a counseling appointment, even if it was just one more thing they were doing at home. So two things, I guess, the total integration and lack of separation, uh, I think is going to have a long-term effect, and we're going to have trouble sorting that out over the next few years, and, the, uh, and not knowing when that's going to be restored, and how it's going to be restored. And then the lack of play and interaction with our peers, and our friends. I think there's a real, I've heard a lot of kids doing that virtually, but it's just not the same. And so we need that human interaction. And I think that's going to be a loss. I try personally, I try my best to get up, get ready for the day, make the bed, you know, keep that structure. Well, it kind of goes to the structure idea, right? But like, how do you, mm -hmm. I know that's one thing I've struggled with my own kids is like create a false structure. They know they can do their work anytime. So am I really going to wake them up at 730 in the morning? (laughs) Like. I'm not going to, I'm not going to I'm going yeah. to let them get up when they get up and kind of, I mean, I, you know, within reason, but I, I really can't impose too much structure because I know they can kind of do what they want during the day. And if they're getting things done, um, when you talk about kind of organizational challenges on the financial side for the nonprofit part, what did you guys quickly have to realize around your business model and your finances as an organization that needs to sustain itself through the pandemic? Yeah, well, I was really determined to keep our staff employed 
And so we didn't do any layoffs or furloughs. I did a lot of learning real quick about PPP loans, the CARES Act, the EIDL, all those different business things that normally are not on top of mind on a nonprofit's mind. Like we're not looking at uh, commercial loans for business development, things like that. So we have, we did some real quick million and one webinars, real quick, you know, a lot more tuning into the Chamber of Commerce and what they were offering, not only our local, but the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and what information they were putting out. So just this whole introduction and trial by fire of the, of the um, business world and the business financial world. And I think that's probably good for nonprofits in general, that they have more business awareness, business economics awareness. Um, and so AdventureWorks was successful in getting the PPP and the idle stimulus money. We were, um, we were in good shape. We were able to maintain payroll throughout. And now that we're starting back up in person, we're just going to get busier. I don't think that we're going to have any losses in terms of employment. You know, we'll feel it for several years, probably, the, the recovery of the, lo- the lack of revenue, um, because we are not um, a free service organization for every individual. If you have, we're a healthcare organization, so if you have healthcare insurance through a commercial payer, we do bill that insurance. And the lags of insurance payment and reviewing of claims is just dramatically increased. Um, over the last couple of months where, you know, if you submit a clean claim to insurance right now, you are going to have a three to four times longer delay getting your money because the, it's a little bit intricate, but the telehealth coding was not properly implemented into the insurance company's system, their automated system. So a lot of manual processing of claims has occurred, uh, which wasn't the case up until the pandemic. And if you submit a claim that's if you, have a, if you miss a code or you have something off with it, it's going to be probably six to eight months before that gets adjudicated. Huge cash flow issues, the DeKalb County Community Foundation, the DeKalb County Mental Health Board, and private donors, uh, especially through the Gift DeKalb event and the COVID Relief Fund, have really come on strong and helped nonprofits, not the least of which is AdventureWorks. So we have been very, very fortunate to receive the support of the community in addition to being able to benefit from the CARES Act and the government uh, laws and stuff that were implemented. It's been a pretty amazing experience to have all of it come together and to close, you know, to go from March and having no idea what's going to happen with your agency to closing the fiscal year at the end of this month and knowing that it's good, it's all going to be good. What are you guys thinking about as you plan the next six months to the year? Well, we're thinking about what we need to do to accommodate the mental health crisis that's not only spurred on by the pandemic, but also by the racial injustices that we've seen in the news and in our world over many, many years, but coming to a head. And we need to be able to not only serve the needs of the community, but also do that through evaluating our own policies and procedures and accessibility issues and making sure that our our outward-facing and inward-facing language and policies and procedures are all in place to make our services as accessible and, and accepting as possible. So we're looking at how to, how to, what to evaluate, how to 
how to make that messaging really strong and impactful, and then what do we need to expand? What services do we need to expand in order to accommodate the needs, and how are we going to do that? So it's a it's good timing because we're going into a new strategic planning period. Uh, our current strategic plan expires in August, been three years, so it's time to do another one this summer or fall, and um, a lot of that will be able to be integrated into the plan and and to to make make real good sense. Just have a good path to follow. The work that you've been doing specifically in the University Village area, how has that been going and how has that kind of shifted during this period and how do you see that shifting in the next in the next little while? Uh, that's been going really well. We have a really great collaborative put together through there are six core organizations that are contracted together to serve the University Village and those include and I hope I can remember all of them off the top of my head but AdventureWorks, Cal County Community Gardens, Family Service Agency, 4C, the Coordinated Child Care, Kish WorkNet, and Oh, DeKalb County Health Department. So 2018 was our first contract, but most of those agencies had been working informally together for the three years prior to that. In the spring, especially, we we did our strategic planning for this year and into 2021 in January. So it was prior to the pandemic. We're going to have to readdress that and, and see where we're at in terms of what can still be done, what can't be done, what needs to be looked at for next year. But in addition to those six agencies, we probably have, I probably have a list of 35 different individuals and entities in the DeKalb County area who are interested in assisting with efforts in the University Village and the Annie Glidden North area. So if the collaborative is specific to University Village, if other people come from the neighborhood and engage in the services that we offer at the village, we don't turn them away, but we don't we offer most of those services in the village. Part of the bigger group is the university or the, sorry, the Annie Glidden North Corridor Social Services Work Group that was formed through the newly developed 501c3 Opportunity DeKalb. And they have the 501c3 now and are looking at what their focus is going to be and how they're organized as a as an entity, but we've been working really closely with that social services work group for the larger Annie and North neighborhood. The city of DeKalb has been very, very supportive and involved. Um, Joanne Rouse attends all of our meetings. So it's a really, and, and you've, you've been aware of the collaborative, but it's a really unique collaborative between city government uh, and county government, NIU and the community resource, the community services as well as the University Village and other property managers um, have been have played a really big role. In March, when when everything shut down, the University Village office also shut down. So all of our on-site services, except for the Growmobile, were shut down as well. So we couldn't have our University Village resident liaison on site. She was on site for um, three days a week, various hours, and she couldn't be on site. We communicate with residents via text message alerts. We provided care packages to them through one of the Growmobile events. The Growmobile has been, had increased to twice a month instead of once a month right prior to the pandemic, and that was the plan going into January and February. Some of the services have increased, and the health department obviously plays a huge role in that with the pandemic. And some of the services have had to back off because there's no place to provide them. Do you think people would be surprised at how much you interact with 
other nonprofits and government agencies in the work that you do? Yes, definitely. We have a, a great crossover with a lot of different sectors in the nonprofit. Um, a really nice, really nice relationships that have developed in the interest of serving the residents of DeKalb and Pacific University Village. What are the challenges yeah. working cross-sector, either for-profit or, or with government as a, as a newer nonprofit organization? I wouldn't say any challenges particular to us being a newer nonprofit. I haven't felt that that's interfered at all. The challenges, of course, with any big group and bringing different organizations together is just getting, you know, making sure that the, the messaging is clear and communication is clear. And, and, and I think we are, I think we do an okay job of that. I didn't mention earlier, there's a, a large church influence in the collaborative. A lot of the ancillary folks that are showing interest in and really helping out our churches in the area, both Sycamore and DeKalb. I I think it's just a joy to be a part of. What's some feedback you've gotten from the residents? Well, I think the residents that are engaged with the collaborative services are grateful. They show up, they're, they're consistent. So the consistency of engagement, and they do share with other friends and and folks that they know in the village about the services, the Growmobile events, the food pantries, and our um, we were providing quarterly wellness fairs to the families at the University Village, and those are very very well attended. We had over uh, both the Growmobile and the wellness events have well over 100 uh, people who attend every every quarter and every month for the food distribution. There's a long ways to go, but the collaborative has at least been able to establish that we're there to help and people do see us showing up consistently. So we think we see more resident consistency. Is this the job you thought you'd have at 25? And well, what would you tell 25-year-old um, Lynette? about where you are today? You know, I saw that question that you sent me ahead of time about if if I thought about this at 25, and I would say absolutely not. Like, I hadn't really created anything when I was 25. I was just sort of finding my way and figuring out so, what social work was. I was also the parent of a one-year-old. And in when I was 25, working full-time in an inpatient psychiatric center at Kish Hospital, which is no longer there, but really just figuring out life at that point. I don't know what I would tell my 25-year-old self, but what I've tried to do along the way is just sort of lead with my gut and let things advance that seem right. Everything that I've done in my career has sort of led, has just, it's just evolved out of something that I see that could be done or something that seems right. I think just trusting myself and, and making making the next step and doing jumping in and doing things. And one, some of my staff, um, when we first got accredited in 2017, my staff gave me a lot of crap about my leadership style and my organizational development style. Because, and, and we even found a theory that supported that the style of oh great leadership yeah yeah it's called it's the non-deliberative theory the way that it's referred to in the literature is do then think jumping in and doing something and then evaluating it taking a step back and seeing what it what it's really what its purpose is and all of that and so that's kind of what AdventureWorks is based on uh, in retrospect, like it's, you know, thinking about it, that's exactly how the organization. You've been analyzed, Lynette. (laughs) 
I have been. Um, when we went through accreditation, we had to pull all those pieces together, all the different things together and make some sense out of them and make them really intentional and deliberate for the, the next phase of organizational development. That was really a good experience for me to just pull it all in, take a look at it, get it organized, develop the policies, make sure that everything was in place. And uh, we were able to, to become accredited, so that speaks to, obviously, my staff um, helping me rein it all in and figure it out. So now we're up for reaccreditation. So we've just submitted our self-study and hopefully we'll be reaccredited for, uh, that was the first one was three years. Now we qualify for a five-year accreditation. That's what we're shooting for in November. But yeah, in terms of, you know, having developed and, and run an organization for 10 years, that is just was never on the to-do list. I'm glad it's happened. It's been, a, it's been a really great experience. Did you always know? I mean, I, I'm curious of when you were growing up, like this, you always kind of knew you wanted to be the helper and the, the, you know, help people kind of get through challenging things. Is this related all to your first job or um, or experiences you had as a kid? Because I know your dad's been involved with adventure works along the way too, right? Yeah. So does it yeah, come from my, somewhere? Where does that come from? Well, my dad is a business owner. He had, he had a painting contract, paint contracting business, um, painting contractor for, I don't know, 45 years or something until he closed the business and retired. Growing up, I saw him running his own business. And I think that partially contributed. And his work ethic, certainly my parents' work ethic, ethic. They're both helpers. They're both very kind, caring people. And so I think that that was the foundation. I have an aunt. She is a nurse and a therapist. And she the one to help me kind of identify social work as my track. But then also my first job was working detasseling through the decal bag. And then, of course, opening up and working at the public at Hopkins Park Pool. Uh, and, and both of those were before I was 16. So I was working long before I was 16 years old and um, developing my own work uh, ethic, making my own my own money, all that good stuff. And those are really hard jobs. And I, I appreciate them. I appreciate those opportunities. In terms of social work, it, it was sort of pinpointed or I was originally it was going to be guidance counselor for schools because I, I always appreciated the guidance counselors that I had in middle school and high school. And so I did in, I did like in school internships with them to get out of other classes that I didn't want to take. My aunt helped me decide on social work. And then that just went from there. I love adventure. I love I love everything about it. I love high ropes. I love we had slash lining that we set up at the office. That's really fun. Certainly looking forward to getting back in person with oh, my people. staff, um, with my people, having some separation of duties. I think I'll probably be the last to go back to the office so they don't need extra people there and I can do most of my work from home. Yeah. And on Zoom. So yeah, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm able now that we have we have we're open and, and seeing people outside, I'm able to see a couple staff at the office. We had a nice drive through event last Friday oh. night for our current clients. They we gave them a nice uh, care package. They drove through all of our staff were there, it was a, a full staff event. So it was nice to see each other. And also nice for the clinicians and the clients to be able to see each other. They just stayed in their cars and drove through, gave them the 
care package and had a little chat with their therapist, and that was just really nice to reconnect. Um, and we've got some really cool outdoor gazebos that we got set up at the office now for our office spaces. So even if there's some light rain or something with no lightning, we can still be outside and protected. And Are you going to like separation. rent those out or anything or allow other people? Because <laughs> you might get some takers, Lynette, little, you know, yeah. study carols or little office cubicles for outdoor rental. No I think kidding. that would be fun. Oh, I, I never thought of that. I'm That'd just saying. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? I think that's, that's why not. Yeah, why for not? sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of All Things Local, a monthly podcast brought to you from the School of Public and Global Affairs at Northern Illinois University. I'm Dr. Alicia Shadman. Join me next time to discuss issues and ideas facing our local communities. To learn more about our faculty and programs here at NIU, go to niu.edu backslash SPGA.